Good morning, good morning. Right. So far since I've been back from sabbatical, I have failed miserably on every single occasion that I've been preaching to finish when I'd planned to. Okay? So now, as you can see, I'm putting my watch just there to uh, be, a re- be a reminder to me. It feels different, doesn't it? Do you think it feels different without the Bexhill lot around? I, I didn't think I was going to miss them, to be honest. But actually, I'll come to the conclusion that I am a little bit, and the chairs are different too. So you can't quite sit in the place that you're, you're used to. Um, so anyway, I, I, yeah, no, I think it's good. Good, good, good. Hope you enjoyed Connect Groups this week. Get along to a Connect Group. Excellent, brilliant, really, really good. As you know, we are um, passionate to grow healthy church that will bring the kingdom of God to Hastings and 1066 country. That is, in a sense, the mandate that we feel we're carrying. That's what we feel God has given um, us to do. And as we've heard on a number of occasions already, that's why Bexhill are having their first trial run this morning. Um, over there, I guess, what's the time? At the moment, they're probably sipping their coffee and eating their biscuits um, before their meeting starts um, at 11 o'clock. And it was this time last year that I shared with you that we'd be doing it. So it's a year ago I shared for the first time that in 12 months or so, we will be looking to plant into Bexhill. Um, We felt very much led prophetically to do it, so we'd had some prophetic words Torch beams going out and going across Bexhill and Battle and Hawkehurst and Rye. So we felt prophetically stirred that was the right thing for us to be doing. We felt historically that we'd been led to this point in time, that now was the moment to do it. Over the last 40 years or so, we'd always had people from the villages and uh, from Bexhill coming and joining us, but we felt, no, now's now's the time for us to serve them uh, more effectively. And we felt as well apostolically, too, that um, uh, part of the church movement, we are in new ground, and with Dave Holden, they were encouraging us that this Uh, was the right time to do it. This was the time uh, to go for it and plant uh, this new venue. So that's what we're about. That's what we're going to be doing. And it was really um, odd on Thursday afternoon seeing a trailer pulling up out the front of the Hastings Centre and boxes of PA equipment and stuff for tea and coffee and the things for the children's groups all being loaded in and uh, towed off and probably, if truth be known, they're probably still unpacking some of it at the moment. Although then, then again, thinking about it, if Andrew Bunt in charge of it all, probably it was all unloaded about, I don't know, months ago. So, uh, but, uh, so, so it's, it's, it's good. A guy called William Carey said this just over 200 years ago. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And this morning I want to really um, unpack that statement. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to look at the first five um, verses in there. We're going to take it a section at a time. But I really feel that this is a helpful passage for where we're at at the moment um, as 
a church. Now, before we do it, before we read it, I just want to give you a bit of background on Isaiah, because I think it's always good to know the background of what we're reading, to get the big picture before we get into the detail. But then what I want to do is take those five verses, split it down into three sections. And what I may do as well, just to give you a bit of a heads up, I I may get you to stand up after each section. So, you feeling all right for that? I'll forget the last ten seconds, okay? I'll go back, rewind, and then just see if we can... uh, So... So what I might do is I'm going to sort of probably split it into three sections and I may be looking for a response after each section. Um, Are you up for that? That's good. Excellent. Brilliant. That gives me much more confidence. Anyway, a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah was written um, 2,700 years ago. It was written 700 years before Christ. Um, The book of Isaiah is probably one of the richest books in the Old Testament, and it's one of the most quoted in the New Testament. It gives us unrivaled insight into who God is. If you want a big picture view of God, read Isaiah. You see him in his majesty, you see him in his glory. Now when it was written, it was written to God's people when they were divided into two kingdoms. Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. In some ways, it was two, two small nations in the midst of big nations around them, powerful ones. And much of the immediate application of Isaiah is addressing these two nations and the problems that they were facing. They were surrounded by many superpowers, and their borders were threatened, and ultimately they were going to be invaded and conquered. And Isaiah is speaking into that. He's encouraging them. He is giving them hope for the future. But Isaiah is also talking beyond the immediate. He's talking beyond Israel and their physical lands. He's speaking to a new reality. He's speaking about a saviour who will be the hope of all nations. We see within Isaiah the depth of the gospel and God's great plan. So as we approach Isaiah 54, we see the Messiah is coming. We see that he will do everything to remove sin, establish righteousness and pour out his spirit. And that is the context that we read in Isaiah 54. So if you've got your Bibles and if you found it, let's read it together. Sing, O barren one, who, who, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. 
For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called. Father, I just want to ask you as I unpack this passage, I pray for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for an upgrade. I pray for a fresh anointing. But I pray, Lord God, would you stir our hearts. I pray that faith would arise. I pray, Lord, that you would come incredibly close. I pray, Lord, that your glory would be freshly revealed. I pray, Lord God, that your name, your name would be glorified. Lord, come and have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this passage, Isaiah 54, has come up a number of times in the last 12 months. Jackie Rendell brought it as a prophetic word a little while ago. Angela Kem, when she came back in November last year, also referenced it. And then when we were praying in the 7 o'clock prayer meeting recently, John Wales read it out and just felt there was, a, there was something about it for now. And to be honest, that is the sense that I've got. I believe these words here um, have prophetic relevance for where we're at at the moment as a church. And we're going to look at this passage under three particular titles. Joy, expansion, and confidence. And because I'm not a particularly original thinker or creative thinker, that's the title of the preach today. So it's joy, expansion, and confidence. And we're going to take them one at a time. The problem is, as I'm talking, I didn't turn to Isaiah 54 myself. So I will quickly find it. Brilliant. So let's pick up and look at verse 1. Joy. Joy, why, Paul, why on earth have you entitled the first verse joy? Because it isn't very joyful. It's a pretty bleak picture that is painted. There's a woman mentioned and she's barren. She's unable to conceive. She's unable to have children. But she's not just barren, she's desolate as well. She's deprived of a husband's care and support. This whole childlessness is, a, in a sense, um, reflective of fruitlessness. So what is it that she's commanded to do? I mean, I don't know. What, what would you command someone to do who is desolate, got no care, and is barren? What, what would you do? Mourn? Cry out? She's commanded to sing. She's commanded to rejoice, to express joy. Not, not because of some cruel command, but because of the promised fruitfulness that is coming based on the promises of God. You see, if you read the, the chapters before Isaiah 54, it's all about the coming Messiah. It's all about what he has come to do. It's all about the promises of redemption and forgiveness and fruitfulness and how he is going to deal with the problem of sin. And that's why this, this woman that is unable in the natural to be fruitful is commanded to sing out. Because she worships a supernatural God who gives supernatural promises, who brings supernatural life. There's a Messiah coming. 
And in his saving work, the servant has done everything to remove sin, to establish righteousness, to create family. What she was unable to do with her effort, the supernatural, God is able to do. He is to speak. He will bring life where there is death. He will bring comfort where there is mourning. The Messiah is coming. There's a sense for this barren woman of family gathering. It cannot be explained in the natural because she's barren, but God is doing something supernaturally. The church, the Lord's people, created by supernatural birth. And she's to sing not because of what she finds in her hands or because of what she sees within her body. She's to sing because of the promises of God. You will be fruitful. You will bear much fruit. Rejoice. Be joyful. King's Church, it's time to move. Even as we plant venues into Bexhill, what we're about is a supernatural work. The fruitfulness doesn't come from our plans or our strategies, but it comes from God. We can't, we can't do it ourselves, can we? How many people have I born again? None. How many have I filled with the Holy Spirit? How many have I, as it were, supernaturally revealed the Bible to? None. How many people have I healed? None. But we have a supernatural God who brings life. He is the life giver. Salvation, the mystery, the wonder of being born again isn't really down to the effectiveness of the preaching. It's down to the anointing and the work of God, creating life on the inside. Seeing the oppressed set free and lives changed and transformed. Yes, we have a part to play, but ultimately it's the work of God. Sing, O barren woman. Sing, you who have not borne a children. Why? Because you will bear more children than she who has got a husband. And that is as true for us today. That even as we plan and we strategize and we plant and we send people, in the end, the success is down to God and God alone. We're reliant on him turning up and taking what we've prepared, what we've put together and breathing his life into it. We are a fruitful people called to be fruitful, joined to Jesus Christ. It's, it's what we're about. It's a message of fruitfulness. It's a time of joy. Because although we can be aware of where we are lacking, we are serving a God who blesses, who brings life, who changes situations. He's the one it's about. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. What I'd love us to do where we are is, can we stand? I'd like you to, can you, if you're able, can you just sort of try and jump up and down a little bit? Excellent, bit more at the back, bit of jumping. Good, good, bit of jumping, good, good. Just, Paul, you weren't jumping. Thank you, good, good. So the only reason I was doing that is, you know, sometimes you need to get a bit of blood flow going through your legs, good. 
Lord, I thank you that you are a supernatural God. I pray right now, would you bring fresh faith to us to expect the supernatural when we gather together. Lord, increase faith in us that when we go out into our workplaces and when we're with our families, that we take you, supernatural God, with us. Lord, we say in many ways we're barren and yet in another way we are so fruitful and have the potential for such fruitfulness because of who you are and what you do, Lord God. So I pray for your anointing. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and settle upon us right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you, Lord God. Lord, I pray would you birth within us a fresh joy at impending fruitfulness. Lord, I pray would you stir fresh faith to see you act in ways that only you can do. Lord, that increasingly we would be a people that expects great things from you but also would be a people that attempts great things for you. I pray for faith, impartation of faith in Jesus' name. I pray it. Amen. Amen. Why don't we take our seats? So with the promise of fruitfulness that we get in verse 1, that although naturally, should I be bearing fruit? Well, in some ways, no. But because of who God is, yes, A really big yes with expectation and with faith. What is my response? Is it just to sing? Is it just to rejoice? Well, yes, we're to do that. We're to sing at the impending fruitfulness. But actually, it's not just that. We're to enlarge. It says, enlarge the place of your tent with the expectation of fruitfulness. God's people need to be active in the preparation for growth. We need to make room for people to be able to come in. Have a look around. We have more room here than we had before. That's not so we sit here missing those that are no longer here. It's so that we fill it. As we invite people in. As we let them come and taste and see how good God is. We need to make the tent bigger. We need more material for the covering. Longer ropes that reach further. We need stronger poles that can carry the weight. Pegs that are hammered into the ground that can resist the wind. Both lengthening and strengthening are really important. Equal attention given to enlargement and solidity. And for us actually here in Hastings, this is an opportunity for, yes, enlargement. And I'm really, I'm hoping and praying that we grow in this season. I hope you are as well. This would be a time when we grow as a congregation, as a venue. But it's also a time for solidity. It's a time where actually we need more people making those big strong poles. We need the tent pegs hammered into the ground even stronger than they were before. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Anyone want to be a tent peg hammered into the ground? No, it's not not high on the list. But you know what I mean? That, That whole thing is we stretch out. You know, if you, any of you were at the Ashburnham camp... 
If you wanted to extend your tent, you needed to make sure that the tent that's already there is strong. Because there's extra weight on it. And for us as a venue, it's so important. I believe we are strong, but this needs to be a time of strengthening. Of pulling closer together. I'll get practical on that in the next few moments. Equal attention given to enlargement as we stretch out in a Bex Hill. But also solidity as we're here. It's also interesting if you read down in Isaiah 54. I think it's at the end of verse 3. I love this. It says, your offspring will possess nations. What a promise. They will people the desolate cities. You know what we're doing with Bexhill and Hastings isn't just for us. It's not just for now. It's for future generations as well. We're we're here right now, and, and I've said it before, but we're here right now because of the faithfulness of 42 years of building. A whole load of the people that have invested in so many ways, no longer here, but they invested, they invested, and we gather and we get to celebrate and enjoy what's been done. You know, as we plant into Bexhill, at times it's going to be hard. At times it's going to make, be a bit more uncomfortable than it was when we were all together. But the reason we're doing it is because there's thousands of people who don't know Jesus And we want to more effectively reach them. But we're also doing it. Future generations will be able to share in what we are doing right now. I don't know the other thing about putting tents up. Do any of you enjoy putting tents up? Me and Close, we don't argue very often. But you can be sure it will be tense when we're putting our tent up. You know, it can be just... When the tent's up and you're sat outside with your glass of wine, enjoying the sunshine, the tension dissipates. But when you're putting it up, when you're moving the poles and stretching it out and bits are falling down as you're pulling other bits up and it's not working quite right, it can be quite tense. I wonder if it might be a little bit like that for us over this coming season. We're going to be stretched. We're going to pull out over here and other bits aren't going to work quite so right. And things might not happen just as we're quite used to. But that's all right. We're enlarging. We're strengthening. We are stretching out. And it also says in these verses, do not hold back. Because if we do, we'll limit God. As we expect growth, as we expect fruitfulness, verse 1, we need to be ready for it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, where the disciples are told by Jesus to let down their nets, they're in the boat, and he says, put them down on the other side, and they put them down, and there's so many fish that the two boats and all the nets and and the disciples struggle to pull it in. I wonder what would have happened if they'd had three boats and if they'd had bigger nets and if there'd been more disciples. I wonder if they might have seen more fish caught. As we expect God to bless us with fruitfulness, so we need to be prepared for what God will send. It's a time of preparation, a time of getting ready. King's Church It's time to move. 
strengthening and lengthening will be seen in very practical ways. Do you know that when you've been meeting in connect groups this week, you've been strengthening? Strengthening relationships, strengthening friendships, pastoring one another, offering support, praying, seeking God for breakthrough in areas. Connect groups is an opportunity to strengthen, to go again, ready for everything God has got for us. Where, where will people go when they come join us for the first time? Where will they make friends? Where will relationships get built? In our connect groups. It's a time of strengthening. Absolutely wonderful. It's a time to freshly push in with our walk with God. Just prayer. Reading the Bible. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Personal times of worship. It's a time to strengthen ourselves in God. There'll be fresh leadership opportunities. Fresh opportunities to give, whether it's in serving, whether it's to give financially, to fill the holes. Um, just a real practical thing I heard. Um, Mike, where are you, Mike? No, no, not that. No, I normally mention that, Mike. I want Mike Reed. Where's Mike Reed? Is he around? He's somewhere. He's not far away, I know. I can't see you. Mike, Mike Reed is on stewarding today, and um, a number of his stewards are in Bexhill at the moment. That doesn't help stewarding the Hastings venue. Maybe today there's an opportunity for you just to say, you know what? Actually, once a month, I can be involved with the stewarding. I can support. I can get, a, I can get through and help with that. Just that opportunity of lengthening and strengthening. So we find in verse 1, joy, celebration at impending fruitfulness. In verses 2 and 3, we find enlargement, expect, getting ready for the expected growth. And in verses 4 and 5... We find confidence. For some of us, we rule ourselves out. You know, we say, I can't, I can't sing joyfully. I can't enlarge because of my past. God can't use me. I've made too many mistakes. I've had too many bad experiences. Maybe with a different church. Maybe with this church. But in verse 4, if you've got your Bibles, just have a fresh look at verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Isaiah mentions shame, disgrace, humiliation. They're listed out in order that he can rule out every possible disappointment. Isaiah is saying confidence can be enjoyed because our past has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. He has made a way. It's what Jesus came to do to deal with these things. Isaiah says, look, from the shame of your youth, maybe things that were done in the past to you or things that you did in the past to the disgrace of widowhood, maybe stuff in old age, where you look and you think, oh, I so wish I hadn't done those things. God has got it covered. Fruitfulness 
enlargement, confidence. How, how can we be certain? How, how can we be certain? Well, he goes on in verse 5 to tell us how we can be certain. Because of his promises and because of God's character. I love the richness in these verses. Just as I'm looking and let, let this, um, as it were, wash over you again. The first thing in verse 4. God is called our maker and our husband. Isn't it brilliant? Going from the widow who's left all alone. And, and, and God's not saying necessarily that the widow will find a natural husband. But what, what God is saying is, I will be your husband. I will be your husband. I will be your protector. I will be the one who cares for you. He is the God of redeeming, transforming work, making those who are not his people become his people. And he has covenanted to be our husband. Where does my confidence come? How do I know that my shame, that my disgrace will be dealt with? Why? Because the God that we serve is both our maker and our husband. Not only that, he is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord Almighty. He's the God who saves his people and overthrows their enemies. Do you know you've got one who is stronger than you? It's in, his, it's in who he is. It's in his name. He is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the God Almighty. His power and his resources are unbounded and eternally so. He's my maker. He's my husband. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Holy One of Israel. All of these phrases, all of these names in one verse, it's amazing. The Holy One of Israel is mentioned 26 times in Isaiah. It's nearly unique for this book. He is holy, sacred, completely set apart, entirely in a league of his own. I love that phrase. Do you know the God we worship? He's entirely in a league of his own. No one comes close to him. Everything else is like Gillingham's division. But his Champions League final on how God acts and who he is and what he does. But that holy one, that sacred one, that separate one, he's also my redeemer. So, so the one who, who is totally other than me and I cannot reach, he's the one who's redeemed me. He's the one that's purchased me out of slavery. He's the one who sent his son to die for us on the cross. How can I be confident that my shame and my disgrace will be dealt with? How can I be confident? Because of who God is. It's his character. It's his nature. God has committed himself to be our husband. In the fullness of his power, he is on our side as redeemer. He is God of all the earth. In this new season, that feels a bit different. If I'm honest, you know what? It feels a bit different preaching this morning. Just feels a bit different. You know what? Where does my confidence come from? Where does our confidence come from? It doesn't come from us, corporately. That If we try really hard, we can do it. It comes from the God that we worship, who speaks, who brings life, who changes lives, who brings nothing into something. It's a message of fruitfulness, expansion, 
and confidence. Church, this is a season for us to be freshly confident in God. Amen? We'll work on that in a minute. Let me use a story of someone to illustrate what I've been saying. You know that quote I brought from William Carey at the very beginning? Expect great things from God, attempt great things for him. Well, in 1786, William Carey was 25 years old. He trained as a shoemaker. Yes, that's what I put down, a shoemaker. But he wasn't very good at it. Um, So he became a Baptist minister instead. He was a bit better at that, I can tell you. After a year of being a Baptist minister, he stood up in the Baptist minister's fraternal and he shared his heart that the English church should get a bigger vision of world mission. He said there are 25 times more people in India alone than in England and this provoked him and he wanted it to provoke them as well. An older minister stood up, and you may have heard this before. An older minister stood up and he said this, Young man, sit down, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Three years later, he wrote a tract. Um, It's not a catchy title, but I'll read it out to you anyway. An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens. Can't see it catching on. But basically it was set against a backdrop where the church wasn't going to reach people. It had a view of the sovereignty of God that if God wanted to save people, he could do it on his own without us being involved at all. And he wrote a tract to say, no, that's not the case. Yes, God is sovereign, but he has called his church to get involved in telling people about his beloved son. In 1792, six years after he first stood up in front of that minister's fraternal, He was asked to address a larger group of Baptist ministers and he chose Isaiah 54 verses 1 to 3 as the passage to preach from. As a result, the Baptist Missionary Society was birthed. He went to India later that year. The promises of Isaiah 54 are true, but they did not ensure an easy ride for him. Local missionaries refused to help him when he landed. British traders refused to help him. He lost several children to tropical diseases. His wife became mentally ill and he didn't see a convert for seven years. But by the time he died, there were half a million believers in the region. He translated the Bible into many local dialects. He'd started 60 mission stations, and today he's known as the father of modern missions. And this is what he wanted to, he said, if anyone wrote about my life, this is what they could write. William Carey. If anyone should think it worthwhile to write my life, if he give me credit for being a plodder, he would describe me justly. I can plod. I can persevere. Few people know what may be done till they try. 
and persevere in what they have undertaken. We have got great and wonderful promises from God. We have some great open doors for us to walk through. Will it be easy? No. But it's amazing what God can do when we step out in faith. When believing who he is, we attempt great things for him. God's not calling us to reach the masses of India. But he is calling us to reach 1066 country, to grow healthy church, to bring the kingdom of God to our communities. Church, let us sing as a supernaturally gathered community with the promise of fruitfulness. Let's expand and get ready with the expectation of growth. Let's be confident. Let's push nervousness or smallness away based on the character and the promises of God. Why don't we stand? Can I ask the band to come back up, please? If you feel comfortable to, could you raise your hands? Father, we, we say that phrases like expect great things from God, attempt great things for God are lovely little things to write in our notebooks. They're, they're lovely things to preach. Oh Lord, they're so, so, so different when we're actually trying to deliver it and do it. Father, I pray as we worship you, as we sing out worship to you in a minute, Lord, would we get caught up again with your greatness and your glory and your power. I pray, Lord, that our confidence will freshly rest in who you are and what you've promised us. Lord, I pray that faith will rise in our hearts for fresh fruitfulness, fresh expectation for all you're calling us to do. Lord, as we enlarge and as we strengthen and as we stretch and as we strain, oh Lord, give us success in all we turn our hands to. Lord, we say as a people, we freshly commit ourselves to following you through thick and through thin, through good times and bad times. Lord, come and have your way. Come and be glorified. Among us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.